Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Turn with your Bibles to Mark chapter 6, verses 1 to 6. We're going to read together. It says, He, Jesus, went away from there and came to his hometown. And his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Three, is not this the carpenter? the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offence at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honour except in his hometown and among his relatives and his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marvelled, Jesus marvelled, at their unbelief. And he went about among the villagers teaching. You know, in the last couple of weeks, I've been reading a series of books called God's Generals. Anybody else read them? Incredible books about evangelists, healing ministries, about prophets, about revivalists, Holy Spirit generals. And the testimonies in those books are just so inspiring, so incredible. The sheer numbers of healings, the numbers of salvations, the impact these people's ministries had on the world we live in today. But also really struck me how many of them burnt out very young because they failed to steward their physical bodies. How many of them had failed marriages? How many of them actually died under a cloak of suspicion and controversy? But as I sat back and I looked at both the success and the pitfalls of these revivalists, I thought, what is the main thread of what God wants to say to me through these books? And I felt like it was this, that the way they responded to His presence at the end needed to be compared to the way they responded to His presence at the beginning of their ministry that there was something about their response to the presence in the long term that determined whether they flamed out or flamed up. Now it's 12 weeks today here at Numa since Super Bowl Sunday. 12 weeks today. We've had over 30 revival services. By my moderate estimate, we've spent over 100 hours in worship in the last 12 weeks. That doesn't include our morning services. It doesn't include your personal devotional life. It doesn't include our upper room prayer. It doesn't include your life group. That's just revival services. Now, I want to place before you today that we too are going to face this tension of how we respond to the presence from now on not just how we responded to it on Super Bowl Sunday. We are seeing incredible testimonies of healings and breakthroughs, but I just sense Holy Spirit inviting us to live aware 
of our ongoing response to His presence. You see, the thing is that familiarity will cause us to question what once left us astonished. If you look at verse 2 with me, it says, On the Sabbath He began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard Him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? You can hear, they're like, wow, look what Jesus is doing. But then just one little verse later, listen to the transition. Hang on, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So we can see here that at first they acknowledge the mighty works and the wisdom, all that they can see Jesus operating in, but their familiarity, remembering that this is Jesus' hometown, this is his friends and his family, this is his community, their familiarity with him led to them questioning the manifestations that were coming through him. I notice a couple of things that are really important for us, I believe, in this season in their questioning. They say, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? Now, first, firstly, they're saying, is not this the carpenter? In other words, we know this guy. Yeah. We know his job. Yeah. Carpenter in the original language here could have meant a stonemason or someone who worked with wood. Basically, it was a tradie of the time. They're like, we know Jesus. We know his job. We know he didn't train underneath a rabbi. So we kind of think he's pretty ordinary to be doing something so extraordinary. The second thing I notice is they say, but hang on, this is the son of Mary. What's important to notice here is in the Bible, it usually lists out the son of and then the father. Most historians will tell us, most commentators will tell us the reason they did this is not because Joseph was dead, but because they were trying to say, hang on, isn't this illegitimate Jesus? We're not sure we believe, Mary, that the Holy Spirit came on her and conceived a son. We actually think Jesus might be illegitimate. So they're questioning his ordinariness and his legitimacy. Isn't it interesting? Familiarity caused questions around what just a few moments ago left them astonished. You know, it's nothing new, I think, of Adam and Eve. Right back in the garden, the very first book of your Bible, here they are living in paradise, surrounded by perfection. They can only have the ability to see good, provided for one another, to live without shame perfect union. Not only that, they walk and talk with the Father every single day. He comes and He presences Himself with them, the Word says, in the cool of the afternoon and they would walk and talk with Him. Tell Him about their day. Ask Him about the things they're seeing in the garden in creation. But we know that Satan came and what did he do? He started to sow questions about what originally left them astonished. He started to sow questions and basically they agreed with him till they agreed with the questions right out of his presence. They took his presence for granted. They became familiar. Now we have seen some incredible things in the past 12 weeks. Eight people healed from cancer. We've seen incredible things tonight. We've seen shoulders, necks, knees, ankles healed just today. I mean, God is on the move. 
many, many things that should and have left us astonished. But I feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit that we need to be really careful that we do not begin to question what once left us astonished because we've become too familiar with His presence. The enemy would love to come and rob us of this season by sowing questions in our minds and getting us to agree our way right out of this move of God. Maybe he's got you questioning the ordinariness of the vessels that God is using. Maybe he's got you questioning the legitimacy of what's happening. These are the two things that tripped him up in our passage, ordinariness and legitimacy. Can I just let you in on a little secret? The vessels God is using in this move of God, we are ordinary. I'm not pretending to be anything but absolutely ordinary, but I serve an extraordinary God. It's not a person who would take this platform in the worship team or who would preach or who would host or who would pray, who would pretend to be anything but ordinary. So please don't trip up on that. We're admitting it. Our testimony is actually, I boast in nothing but the cross of Jesus Christ. I can't do what Jesus is doing in this room. I have no desire to. I want to live my life to give Him all of the glory. You know, recently, Pastor Joel and I were actually looking at Super Bowl Sunday, the worship. And I could, can I tell you what stood out? How absolutely ordinary it was. I was expecting that maybe we'd kind of capture on the clips like angels flying to and fro and coloured lights through the sky. It was just ordinary. But if you're in the room and you experience Jesus' presence, it was anything but ordinary. I found myself looking at it and going, oh, was it really that great? I began to question what in the moment left me astonished. We're not apologising that the moments and the people might feel and look ordinary, but we serve an extraordinary God. As to whether or not this is legit, because yeah, I've heard the whispers. Is this hype? Is this legit? We're not afraid of questions. It's okay for you to question. We don't want to control you and tell you how to think. You're allowed to think. But can I just encourage you, look at the fruit. I have the privilege of standing up here most weeks and leading in worship. I get to see your beautiful faces. Can I tell you something? You look different. You literally look like different people. You worship like you're actually free. You worship like you're hungry. You look like Jesus. Me, I'm different. I don't think the same. I don't respond the same. I'm not the same. So if you're questioning whether or not this is legit, are there moments when maybe like it's hype because we have no idea what we're doing? Yeah. We've never been here before, but we're quick to repent and we're hungry to follow. So please don't get all up in your head about is this legit because we're different. That could only be a work of the Holy Spirit. So let's not get so familiar that we're like, oh, it's too ordinary and I'm not sure if it's legit because we could just miss Jesus walking right into the room. We get to choose our response to His presence. You see, familiarity is an obstacle to greater depths of His presence 
and to manifestations of his power. Verse three, it's describing the people of Jesus' hometown. It says, they took offence at him. This word offence in the Greek means stumbling block, to cause to stumble. In the context of our passage, it means to be put off or repelled by Jesus. This word appears eight times in the Gospel of Mark and each time it actually speaks of obstructions that prevented people from coming up close in faith to Jesus. Their familiarity in our story with Jesus obstructed or blocked their experience of His presence and it blocked or repelled the manifestations of His power that He had just done in other places and wanted to do there. Verse five says he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, not bad. Matthew 13, 58 puts it this way, he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief or because of their offence. It became an obstacle. Stay with me here because so far we've talked about the fact that familiarity birthed or gave life to questions around Jesus authority or ordinariness and his legitimacy. And then their questions of authority and legitimacy gave birth to offence in their heart. And offence in their heart aborted or killed the manifestations of his power. It blocked a touch from him. Here's the thing, we cannot receive what we are offended by. You can't receive in your life what you're offended by. If you're offended by the fact that we're praying for healing, you can't receive healing. If you're offended by the fact that we're praying in the Spirit, you can't receive baptism of the Spirit. If you're offended by the fact that we are unapologetically, absolutely, desperately hungry for more of Jesus, you can't receive more of Jesus. You cannot receive what you are offended by. You see... When we are offended by the way Jesus is moving, it literally puts a fence or an obstacle between you and His presence. Literally, a fence puts a fence right in between you and Him. And guess where it all originates? Familiarity. What does this look like? In our passage, it was offence with the ordinariness of who Jesus was. Oh, but we know Him. Offence with His humanity. Offence with the legitimacy of who Jesus was. Maybe for you, it's offence with the manifestations that are happening. Maybe it's offence with the unfamiliar that we're starting to see in our services. Maybe it's offence with the mess. Oh, did you see who they're using? Oh my goodness, it's so messy. Yep, revival's messy. And we start to think those things and then there's offence. Offence with the hunger. Offence with the power and the signs and the wonders. Can they really be going after signs and wonders like that? And then there's offence. Offence with the price for the prize. 
There's a cost to seeing God move in the way He's moving right now. And if we get offended by how much it's gonna cost and what we have to lay down and what idols have to get knocked off their perch, well, then there's a fence between us and Jesus' presence. What about a fence with submission because we're having conversations in the car on the way home like, well, if I was leading this thing, let me tell you how different it would be. And there's a fence right between you and Jesus. And if we're not careful, we're offended with Jesus himself because he interrupted our nice, neat little lives and our routines and our idol of family and our idol of self. And we're offended. We've got a fence with Jesus. And you can be here and you actually might really need a healing. You might really need a sign and a wonder. You might really need a breakthrough and the power ministry of Jesus. You might really need a whisper from Jesus. But my familiarity has caused offence and now it's really hard to worship. It's really hard to preach too. It's really hard to get close to the people God's positioned me with in family and to connect because I've got a fence. It's really hard for me to run right on up to His presence because I've got a fence. And then we feel this separation from Jesus or we might just end up feeling nothing at all. Before we know... There's an obstacle between us and His presence and power. And we wonder why we don't want to keep coming to revival services. Oh, it's just the same old, same old. Here's the thing, familiarity breeds complacency, contempt and control. You know, the story of Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas. What names, right? You can read about them in 1 Samuel 2. They're the original PKs. You know, in our language today, PKs are pastor's kids, Old Testament, priest kids. Hophni and Phinehas, original PKs. And they were raised in the priesthood to be priests. And yet in 1 Samuel 2.12, a very sad little verse, it says that these PKs did not know the Lord. They knew of the Lord, but they did not know Him intimately. They were teachers of God's law. They officiated at his sacrifices in the Holy of Holies where other priests couldn't even stand because of the weight of his glory, but they did not know him personally. They were so familiar with God's Word, God's house and God's presence that they took it for granted and they actually began to violate his instructions for the priesthood. They knew that their portion from each person's sacrifice according to Torah was the breast and the right thigh of the animal, but they began to take any part they wanted and they took it by force. They were so familiar with God's presence, His house and His people that they took what was meant to be holy and they used it to serve themselves. We gasp. But isn't it amazing how quickly and easily our sacrifice of praise becomes about us? They got complacent about the presence and it led to them behaving, the Word says contemptuously, verse 17 
of 1 Samuel 2, the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. When we take what is intended to be offered to God, which is our worship, we become complacent and we make it about us because we're overly familiar and the Word calls that contempt. Bill Johnson says, the devil doesn't mind your complacent worship because it deadens your sensitivities to the Holy Spirit of God. The more times we come in and offer God complacent worship, the more it's going to take to wake our hearts back up because we've deadened our sensitivity to the presence. I think about Uzzah. We all know this story so well. King David wanted to bring the ark of God's presence into Jerusalem very early in his reign. It had been positioned in a man named Abinadab's house for 20 years under the reign of King Saul. Abinadab had a couple of sons. One of them's name was Uzzah. In other words, Uzzah was a man who grew up in a home that had the ark of the presence in it for all of his childhood. And then we read about the procession where King David is bringing the ark into Jerusalem and Abinadab and his sons are there helping bringing the presence into the city. Now Uzzah, who's lived with this ark, with this presence for 20 years, sees an oxen stumble, the ark begins to shake and move because he's so familiar, he reaches out and touches what must not be touched. He seeks to steady or to control the movement of what symbolised the presence of God and he dies on the spot. You see, when we seek to control the movement of the presence or the flow of the Holy Spirit, because we've become so familiar that we think we're the exception to the rule and we know exactly how this works and we know exactly how God moves every single time, we're in very dangerous territory. In our original passage where they say, we've read it a few times now, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, brother of James, Joseph, Judas, Simon, are not his sisters here with us? Can't you just hear how familiarity has bred contempt, complacency, and even perhaps like control of, I'm not receiving that. You see, familiarity is dishonouring to the presence of Jesus, but childlike wonder breeds honour for the presence. You know, about four weeks ago, we were here on a Sunday night and Pastor Corey was preaching a cracker and it was called Call to the Wall. And he opened the altars at the end of his message and um, I came forward, like I received that call to the wall. We've got to get back to a place of prayer. And the altars were packed. My husband was on one side of me. My kids were close by and we were just worshipping and I went into this vision And in this vision, I saw a picture of a beautiful bride. And she was wearing a white dress, like spotless. I was immediately mindful of Revelation, where it talks about the bride having made herself ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I knew that that was what God was showing me. But then this image is going to come up on the screen because it began then to flicker between two images, like those cards you get where you move them and it slightly changes. So there was this bride in a spotless gown, but then it would flick to this little girl in a princess dress, twirling in her daddy's presence. We'd go back to the bride and then back to the little girl and back to the bride and back to the little girl. I said, God, what are you saying? He said, I love it. When my sons and daughters come into the house and they just get wrecked because their dad is here. 
My bride is never more ready, never more pure and clean than when she's matured into childlikeness. Mark 10, verses 13 to 16, just flick over a few chapters. And they were bringing children to Jesus that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the little children come to me, do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. So interesting in these few verses that the disciples were looking for the children to become like them. But Jesus was looking for the disciples to become like the children. It's very important for us to understand in this season that we safeguard ourselves from familiarity if we can come in and just have a childlike posture. Sometimes I think we've become professional Christians. You know, we come in here and we get all up in our head about the way worship and hosting and pre-service prayer and all the things should be. And in the process, we've left our childlikeness. but become all adult about how we do church. But can I suggest to you today that that's actually not Christian maturity? That Jesus is teaching in this passage that his mature bride is childlike. Doesn't that just mess with your head? What does it look like to be childlike in response to his presence? Well, people with a childlike posture view Jesus like he's the only person in the room, not just a face in the crowd. My daughter, Eden, when her daddy walks into the room, doesn't matter who else is there. It could be me, I could be singing, dancing, jumping on my head, she won't even see me. When her dad comes into the room, there is nobody else in the world. We can be in a crowded shopping centre and if we know he's coming towards us, she won't see anybody else. That's how it's meant to be for us when we're in here. Not all distracted, we're looking to the left and looking to the right and where's the who, who and who's manifesting over there. No, my daddy's in the room. I ain't got eyes for anybody else. People with a childlike posture live with wonder, not cynicism. They don't lose that sense of astonishment. They walk around in a move of God like this going, wow, not how. And I pray that you feel the love of Christ in this, but I'm hearing our language change. Yeah. At first we we're all like, wow. And now it's like, yeah, but how? How's this, how's this all gonna work? Children stay in the wow. Yeah. When my kids see something new, they're just like, wow. The why and the how comes later. <laughs> People with a childlike posture trust deeply rather than doubting. This was actually one of Jesus' main points in this passage was I want you to trust me deeply like a child trusts their parent. People with a childlike posture know how to receive from their father without feeling like they have to work or earn it to deserve it. You know, when my kids were little and I used to give them gifts, 
They didn't sit there and measure it up and go, oh, I reckon this is worth about such and such. I don't know if I've been good enough. They ripped that paper off so quick and they enjoyed the fullness of that gift. God wants to give you good gifts in this season. Sometimes our inability to receive throws his gifts back in his face. When people are coming and praying for you and ministering, you can just receive. You don't have to be uber spiritual speaking in tongues at a million miles an hour to be good enough to receive. You can just open your hands and receive the prayer, receive the ministry and receive what God wants to give to you. People with a childlike posture carry joy even when they're being refined (laughs) and placed on the potter's wheel again. People with a childlike posture are led by their hearts and not their heads. They know how to do that kind of worship we've talked about before that in the original language is hoa, which is when they bow down in His presence and that was their way of getting their logic to submit, go lower than their heart connection with Jesus. That's how children approach their father. And people with a childlike posture are free in the Father's presence rather than bound by fear of man. My kids, when they're dancing around the lounge room when they're little, they weren't worried about if we were laughing at them or what we were thinking about. They were completely free. It's time for us to regain some of that childlike nature about us. You know, I look at what God's done in my life in the last four to five years. Only really five years ago, I was completely bound and crippled by performance, by fear of man and by works. I mean enslaved, like an absolute slave to these things. Like I spent my life walking around carrying heavy chains on me. And I'm so grateful for the deep work that the Lord has been doing in my life. There was one moment actually where I felt the Holy Spirit really begin to press into this and begin to work and say, I wanna set you free from these things. And so he posed a question to me, when was the last time you felt truly free? I was 40 and he's asking me, when was the last time you felt truly free? Do you know what was when I was five or six years old? A time in my life when we'd moved to a new town, new school, I didn't know anybody. And at the lunch hour, I had no friends. (laughs) And so I would skip around this jacaranda tree. I would just skip around and around. And there'd be be these groups of kids on the side like, oh my gosh, that new girl is so weird. I didn't care because I was skipping with Jesus. He would talk to me and I would skip and I would feel his pleasure. And that was the last time I felt truly free. So God's been doing this very deep work in my heart to help me regain the childlike Stacey. I actually had a really pivotal moment in front of you, my church family. It was at one of our conferences and we had been in this deep moment of repentance. We'd been singing, um, I'm sorry when I've just gone through the motions. I'm sorry, but I forgot that you're enough. Take me back to where we started. I open up my heart to you. And we just waited, silence. And then the Lord says to me, now's the time, get up and skip. Aren't you glad you're not me? 
get up and run, get up and dance. And so I got up from my knees, all of you were on your knees all across this auditorium and I began to skip across the stage, I began to run, I began to dance and I had recaptured in that moment childlike Stacey. The very next day I received a text message from one of my friends, Pastor Raf. He didn't know what God had been working out in my heart and this is what he texted me. Stacey, when I saw you run and dance on the platform, I felt God speak to me about you and the church. I saw the Spirit of God blow on you as you ran and skipped and like a flower that was once bent down, you immediately blossomed and the colours in you were so diverse and radiant. And the fragrance which came from the blossom literally made all who inhaled it come to the same life. And I heard God say that He was freeing the child Stacy, and in her child state she would be used to free multitudes. You know, in that moment as I skipped across the platform, and it wasn't pretty, I landed on a um, whole table of guitar pedals and they wanted to kill me. But, you know, I had my moment and it was like my William Wallace moment. Guess what broke out in the room? You guys all got up to your feet and you began to worship more freely than I'd ever seen you before. You see, we get to choose our response to His presence. It's really important that we understand tonight that what we honour in our life will multiply in our life. Familiarity in the world breeds contempt. In the kingdom, familiarity can breed honour and intimacy if we can retain a childlike spirit. Can you imagine in our passage how different things could have been in Jesus' hometown? If they had been able to posture themselves with childlike wonder and honour rather than familiarity. Imagine if they'd just stayed in their astonishment, hadn't got all up in their heads with these questions. Imagine if they'd not been complacent, contemptuous or controlling. Imagine if they had not let their familiarity breed contempt. What could Jesus have done for them? Because remember, not only were they familiar with Jesus, He was familiar with them. This was His friends and family. This was his community. You can't tell me from what I read and what I've experienced of Jesus that he didn't want to heal them more than anybody else. That he didn't want to do more extraordinary signs and wonders and works in his hometown than in any other place on the planet because these were people he knew and he loved. And we've just clocked up well over 100 hours in his presence. We're familiar with him. Guess what? He's familiar with you. We're becoming just like Jesus' new home ground. We're becoming his hometown. He wants to move for you. He wants to move for you more than He has ever wanted to move for you before. And all this time we're spending in His presence, let me tell you, you've seen it tonight. He wants to move. But we get to choose our response. And our choice affects the depths and the manifestations of both His presence and His power. So let me ask you today, Is familiarity breeding contempt for the presence? Or is childlike familiarity breeding 
a growing and deeper honour, love, hunger, desperation for more of his presence. I have to admit that as I've prepared this message, the Holy Spirit has addressed me first. Reminded me of moments where I've gotten distracted assessing manifestations rather than fixing my eyes on Him. I actually pulled myself out of the moments of being able to receive from His presence. I had to repent. I'm a PK. I've grown up in church. He reminded me this week that there's moments where I'm just plain too familiar with this place. This is the house of God. This is His holy presence. This is our Jesus in our midst. And I want to live in childlike wonder so that I honour His presence and it increases and manifestations multiply. I want Him to be able to say, I want to do my most extraordinary work in her heart. I want to do my greatest miracles in their midst because they stayed in childlike wonder. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died and rose again, conquering sin, Satan and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life, and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.